we are continuing the series. This is actually the last week of Unlikely Heroes. This week we're going to be looking at Saul Paul, and that'll make, that'll make a little more difference here in a minute. Uh, it's, uh, you know, I, I wanted to point out that I chose these, the, the men and women in this series, but I could have chosen a great number of others, and we're going to go through a lot of those today. Uh, some familiar names would have been Noah and Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, um, Miriam. Where's Miriam? Your namesake? Uh, pick a prophet. You could have picked any of the prophets pretty much, and you'd have found something, something up with them. Or better yet, pick a disciple, the fishermen and the tax collectors. Uh, most of the folks in the Bible came from unlikely places to do extraordinary things. It's the nature of who God is that he takes all of us, has the opportunity to be impactful for God. That's really the point at the end of the day, that going through all of these. We could continue the series, but, but that's the point, that God will use you and God can use me. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you've not done or any of the stuff that we tend to keep us, allow to keep us from becoming who God would have us to be. God can and will use ordinary people to do extraordinary things one of those things that scripture gives to us. So today I saw Paul, and I'm likely to use the names a little bit interchangeably, um, because often we say Saul who became Paul, right? Except that Saul never became Paul. Saul was always Paul. Saul is his Hebrew name, and Paul was his Roman name. So, so it's really the same person. And he didn't become Paul. And I have to tell you as well, when I was studying for this, that this sermon is, is difficult. It taxed me, so to speak. Because there's so many directions to go with, with Saul Paul. I mean, he did so many things. There's so much that happened in his life. But as we've done each, with each of these, the first question is, is there a Saul Paul, right? Guess what? <laughs> Y'all ready? Well, well, let me go through the, 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 con- the conflict first, right? There's dispute, as always, about whether he was an actual person or not. Uh, that's the nature of all of these, all of these guys. Uh, there's very little extra biblical outside of the Bible support for Paul, and some of that disputes some things like where he was born. There's an early Christian writer named Jerome. He places Saul's birth in Geshala with a later move to Tarsus. Tar- Paul himself says that he's from Tarsus where he was born in Acts 22.3. And from there, the disputes continue. Was he really a student of Gamaliel? We don't know anything from that uh, other than from Scripture. Uh, we read in Acts 5 that Gamaliel st- stands up in the Sanhedrin court to speak on behalf of Peter and John. So one stream of thought outside of those who support biblical text is that this rabbi was chosen because he had respect and stature. So, hey, we'll say that Paul was a student of Gamaliel. Is there a record of him chasing Christians? Was he zealous? Was he connected to the Jewish priestly class? None of these answers are found outside of the biblical test. Do we have a tomb? Traditions say, yes, we have a tomb, and skeptics would say, no, it's not him. Um, Having said all of that, we have an extraordinary record of Saul's writings and Paul's writings. Paul wrote 13 of the 27 of the New Testament books, and Acts of the Apostles is based largely on him. Certainly involved other disciples. I believe Paul is real. I think that he was the person who lived in the early days of the church. I think there's a lot of support for that. Um, and, and, and so that's where I land with him. Similarly, I, I, I'm not going to 
often you're, you're not going to hear me stand against what Scripture says. Um, so about the writings, some of the writings, I know you can't read all of these, but I'm going to list them for you. There's some dispute as to the authorship of several of the letters, but there are some that are considered authentic without question that Paul wrote these. Those are 1 Thessalonians, Galatians, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Romans, Philippians, and Philemon. Those are written in the 50s to the 60s, and, and those are Pauline. That is cer certainly Paul's. There's some disputed letters for 2 Thessalonians, Ephesians, and Colossians, um, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. The disputed letters have some, some differences in them, and so we're unclear whether it was actually Paul. And, and Paul had a, he, he didn't write the, he would have a scribe to write lo, a lot of the letters for him um, there at, towards the end of his life. But these letters, they reflect Paul's thinking, but there are some, it, some different writing styles and some different wordings, and the apocalyptic language of Paul is changed in some of them. So there's different vocabulary that brings some, into, some of those into question as to whether they're authentically Paul's. So there's much to dispute, and it's certainly being disputed in theological circles. Right, Andy? <laughs> you know, so, but I'm going to again return to that same view that the writer meant to write what he wrote. Right? It's a, I believe that the writer meant to write that, and we're going to go from there. So Paul was a zealous persecutor of the church. He was a preacher. He was a prisoner, all of those things. And, and we're going to look at this according to his own writings. He came from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee. He defended his beliefs, and this is why he was after that heretical new sect, Christians, followers of the way, he was after them because he thought that they were blaspheming and, and he was zealously pursuing them. He was at the stoning of Stephen, when the first martyr of the church. Paul was against them. That's what took him on the road to Damascus. He's chasing Christians. He's going to go chase them down. Now, I'm going to go to Damascus, and, and, and I'm authorized to do this, and I'm going to go get those Christians because they are leading people astray. And, and this is what changed Christianity. Changed it for the Gentiles especially because we, we probably wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for what happened on the road to Damascus to Paul. But it also changed for the Jews because Paul stood. He was a Jew, and he stood against some of the early church. Um, he argued for us against the, the, Jewish, the Jewish leadership often, that we should be included, that we don't get. Now, here's a good one. For, for the men especially, we don't have to be circumcised. Um, so there's, <laughs> you know, he stood against some of those things that the Jewish people were saying, yes, they need to be brought in and they need to follow our tradition. Paul knew scripture well. You know, he was a Roman and Jewish citizen, although that's in dispute, in case you're wondering. But that would give him a different level of relationship with Roman leadership right? Because with the Romans, he, that meant that the Jewish were not supposed to be able to kill him, although he was hit, you know, he wasn't supposed to be beat with bars, but we have record that he was. Um, so his relationship was different, and, it, and, and so he was able to come into both worlds, the Jewish world and the Gentile world, in a way that would have been impossible for the Jewish disciples to be able to do. God is smart. God knows what he's doing. In case you're wondering, he knew scripture very well. That was a great gift for the early Christians, especially those who were Gentiles, those who didn't grow up in the Jewish faith, those who didn't memorize the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, you know, as the Jewish, had to do, as the Jewish men had to do. 
Paul was able to relate to the Gentile believers and able to teach. And he was able to give us this new understanding, give them back then, which we carry on today. His zealousness. You want to be a church planner, you better be zealous and you better be, be passionate about what you're doing. He planted churches all around the Mediterranean. He was a prodigious church planner. And he walked. Let that sink in. Anybody, look at the Mediterranean. He walked. Didn't have a train, didn't have a car, didn't have an airplane. Didn't he have a bus? He walked. Isn't that crazy? He took ships sometimes. He walked to spread the gospel, to spread this gospel that he was given, this gospel that he carried everywhere that he went, this gospel that would impact thousands of lives back then. Before mass communication existed, thousands and billions today. Think about that. Because this man did what he did. Billions of lives have been changed. His writings are likely a big reason that you and I are in church this morning. Likely a big reason why we believe it all. Paul is a hero of our faith, but he's also one of the most unlikely of heroes. His upbringing as a follower of a top rabbi would have given him status in the Jewish world. It would have given him authority, notoriety, stature. He didn't need to go do this. He certainly didn't need to leave a com the comfort of the, what he knew for something that he didn't. His becoming a follower of Jesus, remember, he was persecuting, chasing, following. He was after us. If, if you heard Paul was coming, you didn't hang around because he was after you. And then he became the strongest Christian apostle, leader. It's highly unlikely, but it happened. Highly unlikely. Think this way. Richard Dawkins. Some of y'all familiar with Richard Dawkins? He's an atheist evangelist is really what he is. He wrote The God Delusion, written some other books. He's one of those who stands adamantly and profoundly against Christian belief. He has a very different belief set. He proselytizes and evangelizes those atheist beliefs. He challenges Christians to debate. He has some great quotes. I am against religion because it teaches us to be satisfied with not understanding the world. Now, that's not true. If you've been here very long, <laughs> you know, you know that my, my what, I, what do I tell you about questions? Good to have. Ask them. Go for it. You know, God is a big God. He can handle questions. But if you come from that place that the Bible says that I believe it, that settles it, and there's no discussion, then that statement can have some, some, some substance to it. By all means, let's be open-minded, but not be so open-minded that our brains drop out, you know. He's got all of these cute quotes and stuff. He's, he, he, he's humorous at times. He's arrogant at other times. He's certainly zealous, and he, he chases down Christians. He wants to debate. He wants to lead people away from what he thinks is a false belief set. He wants to destroy that worldview. He wants to move people out of it, bring them more into his worldview. Why would I talk about Richard Dawkins? This is church. Think this way, Paul, the apostle, zealous as a, as a Pharisee, zealous as a Jew. He, he's after the Christians because he was certain that they were wrong. He was certain that he had it right. I've got it right. And he would not stand for a false belief set to be carried forward. He would not stand for a false belief set. He thought they were wrong, and I'm going to make sure that that stops. 
I'm not going to let that be unchanged and unchallenged. I'm going to challenge it. His changing to Christianity would be just like Richard Dawkins one day going, you know what, I'm going to follow Jesus. Not just that. Richard Dawkins would say, you know what, I'm not just going to follow Jesus, I'm going to preach Jesus and Jesus crucified. This is the unlikeliness of what Paul did. It's incredible. But this is what happened for Paul. In Acts 9, verses 1 through 9, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus. I'm going to go get them. I'll need you behind me. So that if he found any who were of the way, any Christians, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And his response, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And so he was trembling and astonished. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord told him, I want you to get up and go into the city, and there you'll be told what you must do. The men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul rose up from the ground. When his eyes were opened, he saw no one. He was struck blind. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. And there he met Ananias, who, was, who had been told in a vision, Hey, Paul's, Saul's coming. And Ananias like, uh-uh, I'm hanging out with him. Yes, it'll be all right. And it happened that way. And most of us are like, yeah, it may well have been a bummer to not see, but how cool would it be if God came up and said, hey, T Thomas, I want you to go do something. Kit, go do something. Eric, this is what I want you to do. I want <laughs> Sean, I know that you're, you've been struggling. What's my calling? Well, this is it. Wouldn't that be cool if God just kind of showed up and showed out in that way? Yeah, it would be. More pointedly, could we be Paul? Could God take me, could God take you, and move us from ordinary to extraordinary? Could he do that? Would he do that? In the process of doing it, yeah. Because the answer is yes. Every one of us, you, me, those who follow Jesus, God is, God is willing to take us. How far are we willing to go? Are we willing to let go of, of the stuff that holds us back? I want to run through some names. You have a lot of scriptures in, in your bulletin, and here's why. I'm going to go through these names. I'm not going to go through each scripture, but this is a re those are the references for all of these folks. In case you're wondering, does God use ordinary people to do extraordinary things? Let's start in the beginning. Adam, Hebrew word for human. Adam, the first man, was a blame shifter. <laughs> he couldn't resist peer pressure, right? We see that in, in Genesis 3.12. Eve, the first woman, gave in to temptation and words of vanity. Oh, it won't matter. It'll be all right. Genesis 3.6. Cain, the first human, born human being, murdered his brother. 
Genesis 4.8. Noah, the last righteous man, he made the ark. He's the last righteous man on earth. He got drunk and was uncovered in Genesis 9, 20 through 21. Sarah, or Abraham, the forefather of our faith, he let other men take his wife two times because he was afraid that he'd get killed. Sarah let her husband sleep with Hagar, another woman, then hated her for it because she had Ishmael. It goes on. Lot had serious problems with choosing the wrong company and, you know, ends up in Sodom and Gomorrah. Jacob, who out-wrestled God, was also a deceiver. Moses, the humblest man on the face of the earth, according to Numbers 12, had a very serious problem with his temper, and it cost him. They see that in Exodus. Aaron watched Jehovah triumph over Pharaoh and then made a golden calf because Moses took too long on the mountain. Samson, powerful but hopelessly enmeshed with that Delilah girl, and it formed, <laughs> and, and, and so he ended up be taking his own life by bringing a temple down on his head. Saul, King Saul, the first powerful king of Israel, had anger episodes, episodes of deep depression. He traces a paranoia when he was chasing after David, and he committed suicide when he fell on his sword. That's in 1 Samuel. David, the friend of God, concealed his adultery with a murder. Hosea, incredibly forgiving man, grappled with the pain of a wife who was a prostitute and kept leaving him and going out, and then he would follow her, and that was just painful. The prophets, even as they spoke for God, struggled with impurity, depression, issue after issue after issue. So issues abound with all these Old Testament folks, right? And God used them in powerful ways. He used every single one of them in powerful ways. Ordinary people in powerful ways. But what about, oh, that's then. What about the New Testament? Well, Peter was inclined to rash and impetuous uh, behavior, right? It's, oh, that'll never, you never wash my feet. Get behind me, Satan. Okay, well, wash my feet. Wash my whole body. That'll be all right. You know, (laughs) hey, can I get out of the boat and walk on the water with you? That looks like fun. You know, so <laughs> he, he didn't always say, I'll never, although everyone leaves you, I will never leave you. You know what I mean? This is Peter. This is who he is. Thomas, doubting Thomas. Why they call him doubting? He, yeah, unless I see the wounds in your hands and put my hand in your side. Well, guess what Jesus did? Here I am, you know. He was unconvinced. James and John were impatient. They quarreled over the issue of, of who should get statue, right? I want to sit on your right hand and I want to sit on your left hand kind of stuff. All of them acknowledged the need for greater faith in Luke 7, 17, 5. All of them, despite being with Jesus, knowing him to be Messiah, all of them abandoned him when he got arrested. And when the women came back and said, the tomb is empty, they, had, they were slow to, uh-uh, I don't, I don't think I believe that. And all of them, because of fear, met behind locked doors in John 20. Okay, enough of the screw-ups, enough of the real people, right? You know what the end result was? For these people, those other people that are different from us, they changed the world. They changed the world. I don't have a whole lot more to say this morning because when you look in the mirror, you know who you see? Peter and James, John, Thomas, Mary. You are the disciples. You know what God does with disciples? He changes the world. 
it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter about the goodness or the badness of your past. These are all important things in shaping you to become and be who you are. But we have a God who takes everything and works it to the good for those who follow him and are called according to his purpose. He loves you so much he won't leave you alone if you're after him. So we got stuff. But none of those things will ultimately decide where you go from here. That free will thing, isn't it? You know who decides that? You will. I love this quote. It's a C.S. Lewis quote. You can't go back and change the beginning. But you can start where you are and change the ending.